Hey, good morning. Good to see you today. My name is Josh, and uh, one of the pastors here. Welcome to all of you who are joining us online. Glad you can be with us today, too. Um, hey, before we get rolling, though, uh, many of you were at Send yesterday out at Camp Mac, and we had a great time together, and so uh, thanks for joining us. If you missed it, uh, we'd love for you to be a part of it in the future. Uh, thanks again to Pastor Dave and to the Unruhs and many others who served and helped make yesterday happen. Those of you who were there, was it a good day? Yeah, it was fantastic. It was a great, great afternoon. So hopefully you can join us next time. But if you missed that, maybe you can make plans to join us on September 12th, two weeks from today, because on uh, September 7th, you know, Wawasee Bible will turn 35 years old on September 7th. And so on the 12th then, that following Sunday, we're going to celebrate our 35th birthday as a church. And uh, all the things that God's been doing in and through our church here at Wawasee over those years, I uh, would love for you to be a part of that day. <clears throat> and uh, if you're at home watching online, maybe you haven't been back yet, we'd love for you to join us as well. You know, uh, anyone who's been, been part of that, God has been writing a story uh, through Wawasee Bible, at Wawasee Bible, and he's been doing it in and through you. And you're a part of that story. So we would love for you to be here that morning to celebrate with us. We'll have a bunch of donuts and cookies and all that good stuff before, after, between services. And uh, it's just going to be a lot of fun. We even have uh, some gifts to give out that day. So make it a priority if you can do it and be here on the 12th. And maybe invite some other people who haven't been around in a while. Somebody comes to mind, invite them back for that morning. Well, uh, we're in a short series called It's All About Jesus. And uh, we're looking at Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. And within that passage is what I believe is one of the most eloquent descriptions of Jesus that's ever been written. And uh, as we've looked at it the last couple of weeks, we saw first off that it's all about Jesus, like emphasis on the all. Everything is about him. It's created for him and through him, and he holds everything together. And then last week we saw that the church... His church, church is all about Jesus. If Jesus isn't a part of things going on, if he's not the focus, if, if a church is not all about him, we, we are to be most pitied of everyone and we are wasting so much time. What a waste of time apart from Jesus. And, you know, today uh, we're going to look at Jesus' work of bringing life and salvation and, and that life, life itself, true life, abundant life, real life, is all about Jesus. And it's all from Jesus. So uh, let's read uh, from Colossians 1 again. We've been uh, in this passage for a few weeks now. Um, but I'm going to read the whole thing. We'll start in verse 15. You can uh, follow along on the screen or in your own Bible or your app, whatever you've got. But let me start in verse 15 of Colossians chapter 1. Paul writes this. He says, he, speaking of Jesus, Jesus is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. For by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. And he, Jesus, is before all things. <clears throat> and in him, all things hold together And Jesus is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, 
the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Excuse me. For in Jesus all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And, And you, you and me, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, He is now reconciled in his body by his death in order to present you, notice no longer alienated and hostile, but holy and blameless, above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Uh, Friends, this is the word of the Lord, and we're going to unpack those last four verses of what I read today. But before we do, uh, let's talk to the author of this word. Would you pray with me? And uh, let's pray, and then we're going we're to dive in and unpack some things today. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you uh, for his work on the cross, for him seeking me out uh, while I was his enemy, uh, for reconciling me to you. Uh, Father, your grace is just, it's, it's great. It's incredible, your love for us. And so uh, help us uh, to see that in its beauty and its truth today. Holy Spirit, I pray you'd work through me, help me communicate that well, and uh, let my words be your own, and speak to us from your word. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. It is truly all about him, and we pray all of this through him. Amen. Well, uh, <clears throat> we're going to start in verse 19, and in verse 19, Uh, Paul starts off, uh, he he says this, he says, For in him, in Jesus, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. In other words, uh, Jesus is God. Did you know that? We read already earlier in the verses preceding this that he's the beginning. He was there in the beginning. He created all things. That Jesus wasn't created and didn't begin to exist at his conception and in his birth, but He's always existed eternally as God. And the only thing that happened at Christmas is God put on flesh. He added humanity to his deity. Every other religion says that if you're a good enough human being, you could add deity to your humanity. But, you know, the truth of the gospel is that God added humanity to his deity. Not that you could ever be good enough to become a God, but that God actually, who's perfectly good, became human to take our place, to to live among us. Jesus is fully God and and fully human, and the fullness of God, what Paul's saying in here is he is fully God, fully God. Uh, But because of that, it, it pleased God to do this, and look what else it pleased God to do. Through Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things. You know, today I said we're, we're talking about the fact that life, true life, abundant life, real life, It is all about Jesus. But in order for you to experience true life, abundant life, I don't know about you, but I I hear those words and I'm like, sign me up. (laughs) Like, I need that. I want that. The, The way you begin to experience that is that something has to happen in your relationship toward God because you and I, we've sinned, we've messed it all up, and we need that relationship to be restored. We need Jesus to reconcile us. And in fact, that's what Jesus does. 
Jesus reconciles us. That's how this life, this new life, abundant life, begins. Well, what is reconciliation? You know, you hear that word a lot. Well, uh, base definition is simply it's the restoration of friendly relationships and of peace where, in, in a place where before there had been hostility and alienation. A lot of times, true restoration also includes uh, removing the offense that caused the hostility. Do you ever have that with anybody in your life? Where you've got some hostility? And in order for that relationship to be restored, uh, that, uh, whatever that thing is in the middle, it has to be dealt with in some way, shape, or form, doesn't it? What's well, the same way between us and God? And, and God steps into time. He puts on flesh. Jesus puts on flesh. And he's the one who reconciles us to God. He reconciles us to himself. Now, this is an important thing to keep in mind. Not that, like, in our human relationships where we're reconciled to one another and maybe both give and take a little bit. In this case, I'm the one who has to be reconciled to God because I'm the one who's jacked everything up. I'm the one who's sinned. I'm the one who's run the opposite direction and rebelled against God with my fist in the air. See, uh, God reconciles us to him. That's what Jesus does. Because he hasn't changed but I have in my rebellion toward him. You know, the, the Bible makes this clear all throughout the New Testament. Let's look at a couple passages of how God reconciles us to himself. In, in 2 Corinthians, uh, Paul writes this to the church in Corinth. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. See, when, when Jesus reconciles us, he makes us new. He, he takes the old, sinful Josh, and he says, you know what, that's, Josh, that's dead. And you're new. You're new. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all of this is from God. God does it all. Like, I don't do any of it. it that's what's incredible about uh, having a relationship with Almighty God is that it has nothing to do with your goodness or with you being right enough to actually be able to experience that. It has everything to do with his goodness. All of it's from God. Who And how does this happen? Well, it's through Christ. He reconciled us to himself. And then he gave us the, the ministry of reconciliation. We get to proclaim it to other people and live it out. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. Maybe you'd stick your name in here. You know, if you've trusted Christ, if you've become a Christian, maybe just put your name in. I'll, I'll put mine in. That is, in, in Christ, God was reconciling Josh to himself not counting Josh's trespasses against him, and entrusting to Josh the message of reconciliation. That's pretty incredible that, that God does all that work. Therefore, we're ambassadors of Christ, making his appeal, God making his appeal through us. So we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. See, friend, if you want that, that real, true, abundant life, you need to be reconciled to God, to the source of that life. And Jesus is the one, is the way for you to be reconciled to him. Paul also talks about this to the church in Rome. In, in chapter 5, he says this to the Roman church. He says, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died 
for the ungodly. That's, that's you and I, apart from Jesus. And then Paul says this, you know, that's hard to get your mind around. Sometimes uh, someone will die for a righteous person, but it doesn't happen very often. I mean, how often do you hear of somebody actually literally giving their life for someone else? I mean, obviously there are people who do that. We're thankful for our military and those of you who have served and uh, maybe have friends or relatives who have done that. And, and that's a great blessing to us, and thank you. But you know, it really is pretty rare that someone would lay down their life for a righteous person. And sometimes they would lay it, lay it down for a good person, you know, somebody they love. But let me ask you this. Would, would you ever lay down your life for your enemy? For somebody who's, who's really come after you and done harm to you? Think of your worst enemy. Would you die for them? Can I be honest? I don't know that I would. That's Paul's argument here. He says, but while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's what Jesus does. That, God shows his love for us. That while we were still his enemies, <laughs> Jesus died for us. You might die for somebody good, but not your enemy. But Jesus does. Since therefore we've now been justified by his blood, how much more will we be saved by him from the wrath of God? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Do you see this? If you really want life, your life needs to be reconciled to your creator. And it happens by your creator taking the initiative. It happens by Jesus doing it. Let's go back to our verse in Colossians, verse 20. Paul says, through him, through Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things. Now, what's, there's some debate. What is all things? What's that mean? I mean, like creation? Everything. Yeah, I think it does mean creation. That's part of it. You know, he writes, he says, whether on earth or in heaven. Uh, Romans, you might jot this passage down to this reference, Romans 8, 19 through 21, 8, 19 through 21, talks about creation groaning and longing for restoration and how Jesus' work on the cross actually one day will totally restore creation. Because in Adam and Eve's sin, uh, everything, and in our sin, everything gets jacked up. You're like, what do you mean everything? Well, like, now there's pain in childbirth. Uh, there's weeds that grow in the garden and in the field. Work isn't always fulfilling. In fact, it's often frustrating. <laughs> um, relationships are messed up. Pandemics happen. All of that goes back to the fact that sin has jacked up everything. And we're guilty of it. But Jesus reconciles us to God. In fact, he's going to reconcile all things. He's going to make all things new. I'm looking forward to that day. That'll be a great, great day. And you know, all things though, let's talk about this because you know what else all things includes? Not just creation. It includes, uh, and not just your relationship to God. See, our relationship to God vertically is, is totally messed up because of our sin. But do you know what other relationships are messed up? All of the horizontal ones. All of our relationships with one another. And so Jesus reconciles us to himself, but he also reconciles us to one another. 
Now, I know all of your relationships are perfect. You don't have any hostility with anyone, do you? No arguments ever. Think, think about this. Uh, Jesus offers reconciliation in our marriages, in our friendships, in our work relationships, in our neighborhood, among political parties. You're like, that sounds impossible. I know, but Jesus can do it. Among races and ethnicities. How about family relationships? Do you have have any struggles in your family relationships? I think all of us are from families where we've got issues somewhere, right? You know, it's it's just kind of universal, and there's this need and longing for reconciliation. Ernest Hemingway, he's an American author, a famous author, and wrote all kinds of stuff, but one of the things, he would often write short stories, and he writes one called, uh, let me get this right, The Capital of the World. And he talks about the relationship in this book between sons and fathers, and, or this short story, I should say, and uh, uh, talks specifically about uh, a father and son in Spain. And this father, his son's name was Paco, and Paco was a pretty common name uh, at that time in Spain, and uh, they, they kind of butted heads a little bit. And the big reason was Paco wanted to be a matador. You know, he wanted to wave the red, red cloth and fight the bulls and so his dad didn't want anything of that to happen. And so they kind of butted heads, and Paco runs away, and he runs to the city, the big city, the capital of Spain, Madrid. That's why the, the story's called the capital of the world. And uh, shortly after, his father, heartbroken, chases after him. And uh, he follows him to Madrid. He looks for him, can't find him. He puts an ad in the local paper to try to get his attention. And here's what the, the ad said. It said, Dear Paco, Meet me in front of the Madrid newspaper office tomorrow at noon. All is forgiven. All is forgiven. I love you. Well, the next day at noon, uh, Paco's dad shows up over there, and so did 800 other Pacos. (laughs) It's It's like this universal longing for restoration, isn't it? Like we want that in our relationships with one another and in our families. And there's this universal experience of brokenness in our sin. And yet there's this longing for what is really true, what's true life, the way God really created us to live, the way God really created us to have relationship. Why does everyone long for that? Because that's how God designed things, but in our sin, it's all gotten messed up. But the good news is that Jesus reconciles us to God and he can reconcile us to one another. You know, uh, at the time of the New Testament, there was a huge rift between two groups of people, the Jews and the Gentiles. And the Jewish people, uh, God, uh, the Bible is simply God's story of salvation, his story of history and, and how he, he longs to have a relationship with you and his plan to save and rescue and redeem the world, telling us who he is. And, and part of his story begins in the Old Testament with him choosing a people for himself. This is how he's going to work his plan to restore things after we sinned and messed it up. And he chooses the Jewish people. And he promised them that he would give a Messiah who would come through them to save the world, who eventually will, will rule and reign in the world. And uh, when Jesus comes, then when, when God puts on flesh and he comes... Uh, he actually reveals that this plan is for more than just the Jewish people. It's for everybody, for all people. 
anybody who would believe, not just the Jews, but the non-Jews, or a.k.a. the Gentiles. See, if you're not Jewish, you're Gentile. And all throughout uh, this time, through the Old Testament and now in the New Testament, there's this hostility, this ethnic, racial hostility between Jews and Gentiles, and it's at its peak in the New Testament. And so Paul starts writing to churches, and, and this was a big issue even in churches. Those who are Jewish said, I don't know, you, you probably need to become Jewish before you can really become a Christian. And he begins writing to them, and in Ephesians chapter 2, he tells the Gentiles not to forget that they were outsiders and uh, talks to them about some things, and he addresses the Jews. And, and then what he says, starting in verse 14, is pretty incredible. Check this out. He says, for Christ himself has brought peace to us. See, he's united Jews and Gentiles. Not separate people, but into one people. When in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He, he made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together then, as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. See, that's also how he reconciled us to himself. And our hostility toward each other was put to death. Jesus not only reconciles you to himself, he, he can reconcile you and does. He reconciles us to one another. Which begs the question, who are you at odds with today? Who do you need to be reconciled to? You know, reconciliation, we said, uh, is the restoration of peace and friendly relationship with somebody where there used to be hostility. And, and so that means there's probably, if you need to be reconciled to someone, there's probably an offense there some way, shape, or form on one side or the other, either yours or theirs, that needs to be dealt with in some degree, that needs to be removed, forgiven. Who do you need to forgive? You might say, I don't know that I can forgive them. You probably can't on your own. But Jesus works in you to help you forgive. And if you don't forgive, you hold on to that yourself. You're only holding yourself a prisoner in bitterness. You know, just like Jesus made the first move towards us and reconciled us to God, you might actually have to take the first step and make the first move towards reconciliation with that person. Now, when you do that, you might also get rebuffed. <laughs> they may want nothing to do with your advances of trying to restore friendship. It happens a lot, doesn't it? And, and the other reality is there, there might be some situations where just literally you can't do that because of whatever the offense might have been, legally speaking, even. But what Paul tells us in Romans, in his letter to the church in Rome, he says, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men, with all people. So if, if you can't go to that person for legal reasons or for even your own safety, do what you can and deal with that in your heart. If you can go to them, even if they pull away, what can you do? What can you do? It's not an easy thing to hear, is it? It's certainly not an easy thing to do. 
But this is what Jesus does. Through, through Jesus, God reconciles to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And, and then Paul turns his attention to us. He says, and you, you, Josh, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. See, um, the reality is that Jesus reconciles us, and when he does that, he, he starts when I'm still far off, I'm still far off from God when he comes after me. And I'm still in a place, we've already seen this, where I deserve his wrath. He he reconciled me while I was far off and deserving of his wrath. So that's that's what Paul says, you, you. And then he describes us. You who were alienated, who were hostile in mind toward God, you, I'm pointing at myself too, by the way, you who are doing evil deeds, you, as the Bible tells us, who are dead, you who are deserving of wrath, of, of Almighty God's wrath. You're like, really, that's me? Yeah, and it's me too. How's that for a pick-me-up this morning? But you know, that's how the Bible describes us apart from Jesus. It says we're alienated. We're hostile. We're dead in our sin. That's how the Bible describes us on our own, doing evil deeds. Look at Ephesians 2. And you, again, you and I, were dead in the trespasses and sins in which we once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. See, if we're not following Jesus, we're following the enemy. The spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature. So, so it's deep down, woven into me by nature, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Notice we, we, don't, we don't start off by nature because of sin and the way sin has infected the world. We don't start off by nature as as God's children, we start off as children of wrath, as his enemies. And you're like, I don't know, Josh, that's hard to take. I mean, I feel like I'm a pretty good person, yeah, but you, you realize we have all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glory. I mean, think of the best person you know. You'd be like, yeah, he's a pretty good person. Not perfect, but pretty good, because we've all sinned. All of us. And and we were far off and deserving of God's wrath. You and me, who were far off. You know, the reality is some of you, uh, whether in this room or if you hear my voice, you're still far off. You're, You're far off from God. You're alienated from Him. Hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. And you need to be brought near. You, you need to be reconciled to your creator. He loves you. Even in all the ways you're messed up, he loves you. See, you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. He took the initiative. He paid the penalty in order to present you 
no longer as alienated, but to make you new, right? New creation, holy, blameless, above reproach before him. See, friends, Jesus reconciles us. When, when I was far off and deserving of his wrath, Jesus paid my debt. He paid my debt. And that's not the end, though. I mean, that would be a great, that'd be a great place to stop, right? Jesus paid my debt. I don't know it anymore. But he does more than that. He actually draws me near. It's actual friendship as well. Back to Colossians. Uh, you were alienated, hostile mind, doing evil deeds. He's reconciled in his body, uh, a flesh by his death in order to present you and I holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Not just to pay the penalty of your sin, but to present you holy as a friend. You know, after you trust Jesus, he calls you his friend. After you and I have rebelled against him and, and, and shoved our fist in his face, he turns around and, and he calls us friend. That's incredible. Skip up to verse 20. And he paid your debt. He, he, not only does he draw you near, he's paid your debt. He, he sought out and is seeking out reconciliation with you. Through him to reconcile all things, whether in heaven or in, on, on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. He does it. Friend, be, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to him. Remember our definition of reconciliation? It's the restoration of friendly relationships and of peace where there used to be hostility and alienation. But, but do you get it? Jesus removed the hostility by his death on the cross. He removed it. He restored friendliness. He, he presents you now holy and blameless, as above reproach, as a friend, somebody he trusts and loves. Now, think through this with me, and, and this may be painful and hard. But imagine uh, the worst thing somebody could do to you. For, for some of you, I know there's, there's things that even come to mind that have happened to you. Now imagine that God, by His grace, by His power alone, gives you the ability, miraculously even, to forgive that person. And, and to remove that hostility between you and them. But then not only this, this, not only that, which is incredible in and of itself, then also somehow, if it were possible, you actually move toward them, your greatest enemy, and you offer friendship. Like best friendship. Like, ah, I don't know, I don't know that I could forgive. I certainly... No, I could never go to friendship. Now, I, I, I take you down that road simply to illustrate the fact that that's what Jesus does with you and me. I'm his enemy. I deserve his wrath. And yet he comes to me in his love, knowing full well everything about me that's messed up and every way that I've rebelled against him. And he removes that hostility, paying the penalty on the cross. And then he puts out his hand and says, hey, you're my friend. That's incredible. He pays our debt and he draws us near. 
And in saying that, what we see here is God's grace and his mercy, which are really two sides of the same coin. You know, they're just two ways to look at the same thing. Mercy is when I, when I don't get what I do deserve. Well, what do I deserve because of my sin? I, I deserve God's wrath. Josh deserves hell. I deserve eternally to pay the penalty for my sin before a perfect and just God. And that would be right. But in Jesus, I don't get what I deserve. And then let's look at it from the flip side. The flip side of that is his grace, where, where I get what I don't deserve. I certainly don't deserve salvation. I certainly don't deserve friendship with God. And yet I get that. And it's two sides of the same coin. And you might, might say in one sense, then mercy is what I've saved, I'm saved from, from God's wrath. And in his grace, I'm saved to this relationship and friendship and righteousness. Let me see one other way around the bush here to try to explain it. Uh, you know, all of it, it begins with Jesus. It's all about Jesus to have this kind of life. And, and Jesus uh, lives a perfect life and, and he dies on the cross and he does so. Uh, the theological term here is to make atonement for my sin and for your sin. And in making atonement, what, what Jesus does is he satisfies the wrath of God, the Father. And not wrath like a mean wrath, like sometimes we think, oh, that person's wrathful, like he's just a jerk. Like, like think about it. God is totally perfect, totally just, totally right. And, and his wrath, too, is totally just and perfect. It's, it's why we have a sense of wrath, because God perfectly in his justice punishes evil and sin. And there, there has to be a penalty paid for my sin. And Jesus, in the atonement, he satisfies God's wrath. He atones for my sin. And then what the Father does is, is he looks at me, he looks at you, and he declares me righteous. He declares it. That's just who you are. Like, Josh, you didn't do anything to earn it. Jesus did that. He satisfied my wrath. But now I'm just declaring you righteous. Justification is the theological term. Growing up, I always heard this as, Jesus sees me and it's just as if I'd never sinned. That's how he sees me now. He declares me righteous. And then Jesus moves toward me as well. He redeems me and he sets me free from the penalty I deserve and, and from my sin. And you know, at this point in his mercy, by setting me free and, and not meeting out his wrath on me, he could simply say, well, Josh, I'm glad that we're able to deal with this. You're no longer a problem to me and have dealt with your sin and, and you are, you're free. And that alone would, would be great, a great, great thing, wouldn't it? But here's what's incredible. He not only pays my debt, he draws me near. He goes beyond this. See, and then the Holy Spirit comes, he works in my life, he works in my heart, where he pushes me to believe in Jesus by faith. Notice, up until this point, all of this work is only whose? God's, yeah, it's Jesus' work. My only response is to believe, and, and as I do, I receive all these things, and I'm, I'm drawn near to God. 
You know, the, the best place I think this is explained in Scripture is probably in Ephesians chapter 2. So as, as we kind of begin to wrap up here, let's look at Ephesians 2 together. Uh, Paul writes this to the church in Ephesus. He says, and you, there he is again, we're going to see all of these things, are, are being far off, are deserving of wrath, and Jesus drawing us near and paying our debt. But he starts off with the bad news. You who were dead, notice he says we're dead, if you've trusted Christ. In the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, you once walked according to the, the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Now when you get to verse 4, if you don't have this highlighted in your Bible, highlight it, circle it, underline it, because this is incredible. All those things were true of me, but God. Everything hinges now because of God, because of Jesus. Being rich in mercy, right? We've seen his mercy. Because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, even when I was his enemy, he made us alive. He made me alive together with Christ. It's by grace, getting what I don't deserve, that, that you've been saved. And he's raised us up with him. He draws us near. He seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Not his enemy, but his friend. For by grace, you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. Not a result of works. So that no one can boast. You know, uh, today would be my dad's 65th birthday if he was still alive. Uh, his 65th birthday. Now, have you ever thought about your birthday? Did you celebrate it? It's kind of fun to celebrate your birthday. Maybe as you get older, you go, eh, celebrating it less, celebrating old birthdays. <laughs> but let me ask you this. You celebrate it, but did you have anything to do with your birthday? I mean, how much did you have to do with it? Did you choose your parents? Did you choose where you were born? Did you choose the hospital they took you to? Or the midwife or wherever you entered the world? You had nothing to do with it, did you? I didn't. I surely didn't. I didn't have anything to do with who my parents were either. Well, uh, Jesus says that when you receive him by faith and you uh, get to experience the life that he offers, you're, you're being born again. Literally, uh, it means being born from above. And you're given new life spiritually. And just like you had nothing to do with your physical birth, you ultimately, other than believing in Jesus, have nothing to do with your spiritual birth. God does it all. He does it all. It's by faith, by grace, excuse me, you've been saved through faith not a result of your work, so that you can't boast about it. It's all about Jesus. You see? And then Paul uh, wraps up this passage. He says, for 
We're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He says something really similar in our passage in Colossians, uh, where he says in verse 23, uh, that we'll be presented above reproach if indeed we continue in the faith, stable and steadfast. That's not saying like earning your salvation, like you're doing anything about it, but it's just you living out now who you are in Christ, continuing and following him. Friend, um, Jesus reconciles us to himself, to one another. And he begins while we're far off and deserving of God's wrath. And he pays your debt and my debt for sin on the cross. But he doesn't leave it there. He actually draws us near. And draws you near if you'd respond to him in faith. Now, you might hear some of these things, and just as we close, think, um, you know, okay, but I don't know that I like being called alienated and hostile, and I don't know that I can really believe Jesus is the only way. I don't know that I can buy into that. That's a hard saying. Who can accept it? Do you know... uh, People in Jesus' day said those same things to him. In John chapter 6, Jesus' disciples heard this. Many of them said to him, uh, many of them said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Jesus was aware that his disciples were complaining about his teaching. And by disciples, it just means like all the people who were listening to him, all the people following him. So he said to them, "Does, does this upset you? And he says, uh, what if you see the Son of Man go up to where he was before? I mean, what if you see him go up to where he was as God? You know, the Holy Spirit gives life. The, the body means nothing at all. The, the words I've spoken to you are from the Spirit. They give life. These, these words that we've talked about of, of needing to be reconciled to God, that's, they're Jesus' words. They give life. And then Jesus recognizes, though, but, but some of you, there's some of you who don't believe. Jesus had known from the beginning which of them didn't believe. And uh, he goes on in verse 65, he continues speaking and he said, this is why I told you, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him and helps him. From this time on, uh, many of Jesus' followers, many of his disciples turned back and they no longer followed him. They just said, "Um, that's not me, that's not for me. So then Jesus turned to the twelve and he said to them, uh, are you going to leave too? Do you also want to leave? And then Peter says something pretty powerful and profound. He says, Lord, <laughs> I've been following you for years. Where else would I go? You have the words of eternal life. Friend, that's why Jesus came, to give you life to the full, to give it abundantly. So on behalf of him, be reconciled to God, I plead with you. Trust him. And if you have been reconciled to him, be reconciled to one another and live it out, holding firm to the hope that you have. Let me pray. Father, thanks for Jesus. Thanks that Jesus it is, it's all about you. And uh, left on my own, Lord, I'm, 
I'm a mess and in a world of hurt. But Jesus, you saw me while I was your enemy, while I was far from you. You saw all of us. And you stepped toward us. You did the work to reconcile us to you when it was all our fault. While we were far off, Jesus, you you came near us. While we deserved your wrath, you paid our debt. So, so help us, Lord, to, to draw near to you, to, to rejoice in that truth, to be reconciled to one another because of the ways you've reconciled us to you. And Jesus, I, I pray for my friends who've never trusted you that they would be reconciled to you. Maybe even today, friend, if that's you, uh, it's really simple. It's really simple. You know, you, you just acknowledge before God in your heart that Jesus, you, uh, Jesus, I'm, I'm far from you. I've been alienated. I've been hostile. I've been doing evil deeds. I've, if I'm honest, I'm dead inside. And Jesus, I long for the life that you give. So I turn to you in faith, knowing it's not about me or anything I could do, but all about what you've done and about your love for me. The Bible's clear, Jesus is clear. If you would just simply believe upon him, you'll be saved and made new. If you believe in your heart that Jesus died on the cross for your sin and your place, that God raised him from the dead, you would be brought into his family and called his friend and drawn near. And you can do that simply by asking him and saying, Jesus, I believe. Lord, thank you for Jesus. He's our only hope. And it's all about him. And we pray this in his name.